All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. We are a few hours removed from the NBA trade deadline. We have a lot to discuss, and we want to look into the future and talk about what all of this meant for not just the Celtics, but the Eastern Conference. To do that, we bring in friend of the pod, Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype. Yossi, how are you? I'm doing well, Cam. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys feeling about this trade deadline? Yeah, uh, tired. <laughs> My eyes are tired. <laughs> Among other things. Very. All right. Uh, so welcome to a very special edition of the Celtics Club podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. Cameron Tepetabaya, your host, Justin Quinn, Alex Goldberg. Let's do it. To recap for the Celtics, in comes Derek White from the Spurs, Daniel Tice from the Rockets. The Celtics ducked the tax and they have five open roster spots, but we will take it piece by piece. So the first move of the afternoon for Boston, uh, I forget roughly when this happened, but it was what we thought was going to happen was they were going to duck the tax. So the Celtics sent out Bol Bol and PJ Dozer to Orlando for a second round pick and some cash. Was not ducking the tax, Yossi, as best you know, were the Celtics ever going to not duck the tax? They were always going to duck it, um, especially because they were so close. And even though the Celtics have turned it on recently, still not really a team you need to be paying the tax for. If you can get out of it, then by all means. So, yeah, the Bull Bull PJ Dozier dumps that basically got them out of it. And it allowed them to get, and it gave them enough room below the tax to do. The other move they ended up doing where they they took on a bit more salary in, in them. Um, so it, overall, well, you know, interesting, interesting sh- uh, shuffling of the deck. And we'll see how how this the, the season shakes out. So Justin and Alex, either one of you, A, did you ever think that the Celtics would actually pay the tax this season? And B, I'm sure there was like a 45 minute period where we thought maybe this was the only move. What were you thinking in that, that brief window? So I always thought that they were going to try their hardest to get under the tax, barring a major blockbuster deal, which we we thought might be coming down the pike for a hot second there later on. We talk about that later, but for the most part, this is exactly what we were expecting to happen. And to be honest, I was expecting just this. And I was really trying to gear myself up for a, a very dull trade deadline. Yeah, it, it was thoroughly unsurprising for me as well. I mean, as Justin mentioned, there's a slight chance that maybe if there's like a home run trade out there, they go for it. But that trade never seemed like it was going to materialize. We never really heard any rumors to that effect. And spoiler alert, it didn't quite go down like that. Uh, the only question I had about ducking the tax was which players they were going to dump to do it. I thought there was a chance they might just dump like Ennis Cantor, Bruno Fernando, something like that. And, you know, they did end up doing that. But uh, PJ and Bull to get under the tax seemed like one of the more obvious moves. And when they did that, I thought that there was maybe one more move to come, just flipping Dennis for some wing shooting and calling it a day, but I didn't expect much more. Boy, was I surprised. I have a question. Oh, sure, yes. I was going to say, so which one do you want to dive into first, Derek White or Daniel Tice? Well, I was going to go chronologically, so we'll do um, White in just a second. But I have a question that I don't think any of us knows the answer to. How many Bull Bull Celtics jerseys do you think the team ever made? Do you think they ever printed a jersey? None. Um, just maybe like five for him. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm so curious how that stuff works, like where that happened. Designed for him just in case. Like, was he, Justin, was he ever assigned a number? Off the top of my head, I don't know, actually. Yeah, well, Bull Bull, PJ Dozer, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for playing. Okay, let's talk about a, a trade that meant a little bit more. I think they will print out some of these jerseys. So uh, we got a pretty surprising move, and I think uh, we are going to learn that this move came together pretty last minute within the last day or so. Uh, we saw Josh Richardson leave the Celtics. That was surprising, at least to me. Romeo Langford is gone, and a 2020 first-round pick from the Celtics are going to the Spurs, plus, which is something we will talk about, a 2028, which doesn't sound like a real year, pick swap to the Spurs. So Richardson's out, Langford is out, the Celtics 2021st, and a pick swap in 28, and Derek White to the Celtics. Yossi, talk us through uh, the financials there. So it's pretty, the wash is like the, the, the trade's like a wash financially. They take on a little bit more money in, in Derek White by trading uh, Richardson and uh, in Langford. Uh, they get a little trade exception. So they, this trade deadline was very annoying to me <laughs> from what the Celtics did as I'm managing my cap sheets because they created like four or five trade exceptions and they're all very small. It's just like, like the biggest one is Langford's his salary three point eight, and then it's like two one point nine one point this. Like there was some it, reporting about that about them taking him into the um, Evan Fournier trade exception to create a Josh Richardson. I'm not sure if you're mentioning that one. So they can do that, but that's not very advantageous because you then you're dropping from a 17 mil trade exception to create an 11 one. So I mean they could you know. They have a lot of time left on that 17 mil. We'll see what they end up doing. Like if they do that, that, you know, by all means, but I don't think that's a, the most advantageous uh, so, way to cycle them. Um, yeah. But financially it's a wash, but as far as like what the Celtics did, I'm a little concerned with how Brad Stevens has treated first round picks since he took over, you know, traded a first round pick to offload Kemba, you know, still paying a lot of money to Horford. And also now traded a first round pick to get Derek White, who he's a nice player, you know, maybe he could be the starting point guard, but I don't know. I don't know if I would want to, you know, I'm not sure I value Derek White as like with a first round pick like that. Um, But, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not killing them for doing that, but I'm just a little concerned that this is just, you know, the Celtics just might be where they used to be very conservative keeping picks. Now it seems like they're, they're a lot more, uh, just willing to part ways with them than I'm comfortable with. I think it might be a little bit reactionary to the Danny Ainge era overall, uh, particularly when you have to coach the picks that are coming in. So that might be related to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, that's, that's true. That's a good point. You know, see, I have a quick question before we, we talk about Derek White, the player, um, as opposed to like, the financial asset. So the Evan Fournier TPE expires this summer. Would the only benefit to doing what Justin said, which is to bring White into the Fournier TP and create a Richardson one, would the only benefit really be that you extend the life of a, a TPE a, a TP in the team? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that, okay. that would be the main benefit because uh, the Fournier one ex- expires July, mid-July. So mm-hmm. if you don't, if they don't think they're going to be using uh, it to take on like something that big, 
I could understand if they want to utilize that to create a, an 11 million Richardson TPE. Now, at the same time, there are ways they can, you can do some interesting trade uh, exception shuffling. Like let's say they can do a trade where they trade Horford and they trade him for a player and he goes into the Fournier trade exception. It could be someone who makes like as much as 17 mil. Let's say that happens. So something like, I don't know, like a, like Dinwiddie or they get Fournier back. I'm just putting those names back because they, they have, they make 17 mil and then that's all they're taking back. Then you can actually take that player into the Fournier TP and then you're creating a 27 million trade exception for Horford. So that's the, so that's something that like OKC did a bunch uh, in, the, in recent years, just cycling and creating bigger ones. So I would at least want to person, I would probably just keep it just in case they can do something like that, like create a bigger one for Horford. But um, you know, if they want to extend the life of the, of, you know, their bigger TPs, I, I get that too. That's fine. I do want to say that there is also the possibility that they're looking at this as more of a pre-agency move. It's been, sure. there's been a lot of speculation saying that, you know, now they have a lot more movable pieces of varying size that are still substantial. So maybe Derek White is just a trade, traded player exception who plays amazing defense. Mm-hmm. And well, when, when this trade first happened, I immediately thought, okay, well, they got to do something else with their guard rotation. They're pretty, it's pretty crowded. So they move Schroeder, but I do feel like there is some overlap with Marcus Smart being two uh, really like high-end guard defenders in the league. Um, so we'll, what do you got? Do you guys think maybe this is like some Marcus Smart insurance in case they, like you said, maybe they do some other pre-agency move. Maybe they move Marcus Smart to get whatever other piece they want. I think it might open the door to that, but honestly, if I'm looking at, so first off, before we start the Derek White is good at defense conversation, let me just throw some stats at y'all. Derek White among guards this year, third in two-point field goals defended per game, third in two-point defensive field goal percentage, opponents shooting 5.8% below their average, sixth in rim attempts defended, second in rim defensive field goal percentage, opponents shooting 10% below their average when defended by Derek White, second in charges drawn, first in total blocks. So he sounds like a rim protector with all those, with all those stats he just put out. Derek White <laughs> is one of the most underrated defensive players in the game today. And to pair him with Marcus Smart, with Al Horford, with Robert Williams, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Grant Williams, who are all pretty stout defenders in their own right, and Daniel Tice, I don't know. I get the argument that White and Smart are redundant, but I also see a team that has ripped off six wins in a row with the best defense in the NBA in that span, fully embracing Ime Udoka's commitment to defense as the foundation for the Celtics' identity. Honestly, I would not be shocked if this just means that the Celtics are going to have an ironclad rotation full of players who can switch, harass opposing ball handlers, protect the rim, and be a nightmarish hellscape for opposing offenses. And one thing that, so I love the defense angle here. I mean, I just wrote on Celtics blog that maybe the Celtics can go the distance behind defense, um, although I have my doubts. But in the meantime, it will be spectacular to watch. At the same time, I think the offense is going to be fantastic. With respect to Josh Richardson, who I was surprised at how well he played down the stretch, and he also seemed to like Boston very much. 
what white gives you is again this this quasi spurs mentality and the reason i say that is because he's not necessarily a point guard but he's averaging 5.6 assists per game or something like that this season which is a, a considerably higher mark than josh richardson uh who was in the one high one and a half range something like that and so between smart so say we got smart white uh the jays and either brown or i mean either uh horford or rob williams on the court that's a lot of defense but that's also a lot of passing not, there's not a traditional point guard necessarily, although maybe Marcus Smart would beg to differ. There's not a lot of shooting. I think that that uh, might hold true for the rest of the season. But suddenly you have a really dynamic offense that if it's disciplined and, and clicking, a lot of passing, a lot of cutting, a lot of uh, variability. And you do have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who can uh, increasingly are playing out of their minds. So, and- yeah, Alex, I love the offense, but I mean the defense, but... I love the offense. And to on that point, Cam, to be clear, Derek White is having a better shooting season than Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder right now. And Daniel Tice is a massive upgrade on every level over Ennis Cantor. We'll get Ennis Freedom, whatever. He's not on the team anymore. I don't care. Um, we'll get into that in just a minute. But like to say that Derek White is somehow going to be a problem for this team offensively ignores that this team has had so many bad uh, games offensively this year anyways, and Derek is already a substantial improvement. In the last five games, Derek White is averaging 16.2 points per game. He's shooting 50% from the field. He's shooting 46% from three-pointer. He's got a plus 7.6 net rating in the last five games. Now, I know that's a small sample size. Small sample sizes are wonky, but Derek White is an upgrade over Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder on the offensive end, as well as the defensive end, point blank, period. Again, we, we don't want to get like too uh, nerdy about what does this mean for the future? And uh, we do want to focus on the basketball. But I also like the idea of bringing in a 16 and a half, 17 million dollar contract uh, in white over Richardson's $11 million contract, $12 million contract. Because if you are going to go after a big move, that's just a little bit more heft because now white and Horford or white and smart, if, if it came to it or whatever it is, it's just that much more salary to go out and big game hunt. So there is, yeah, I think Alex and I are perhaps more excited about the on the court stuff than maybe, uh, you and Justin are, but I also kind of like the capology stuff here. Um, Yo, see, Justin, what is what are your thoughts on the on the court product here? As long as they can improve their scoring, because the whole thought was, you know, okay, now they have Josh Richardson, they've got whoever, like, yeah, they've got clamps now, but they weren't earlier in the season, they weren't able to get enough points. And yeah, Derek White is certainly uh both an offensive and defensive improvement. So as long as the scoring bumps up a little bit, then yeah, then everything, like in theory, everything should definitely work. And uh, let's see how high they go because or are they like, are they out of the plane yet? There's um, seven last, yeah. Seven. Like, we, it'll take until April to really settle that, I think. I think it's going to stay crowded. I feel like, I feel like there's a good shot they'll be at like five or six. I, I do like this core for this season uh, to get them at least that high. My biggest concern in terms of on-court product is kind of replicating what we were seeing with Dennis Schroeder. There is 
a much different player than Derek White, but there is still the tendency on Marcus Smart's side where if he doesn't feel like he's the primary ball handler, that he'll start acting as more of a shooting guard, and we do not want that. Yeah. I, I think it's also also worth noting that uh, the Jays played with Derek White, uh, USA Basketball, that he's familiar with Coach Udoka. So there is a perhaps a culture fit I, I, as the Celtics kind of, lean into this idea of defense first team first basketball, bringing in a guy that, I mean, Josh Richardson, it seems like fit into that very well. So uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a cultural improvement, but it certainly doesn't detract from it. Speaking of cultural improvements, now that he's not on the team, I'm not going to swear because, because <laughs> we're on YouTube now, but Ennis Cantor can believe himself. That dude is so weird. Um, I don't agree with how he, approaches his politics. Sometimes I agree with his politics, but man, I thank God he's not on the Celtics anymore. Go hang out with Ted Cruz, you freaking weirdo. I'm so over talking about this man. I hope he never plays another possession in the NBA. Have fun talking crap when you're signing a contract with the Guangdong Tigers, dude. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. Anyways, uh, he's, his freedom is not on the Celtics and out of the NBA at the moment. Bruno Fernandez and Schroeder go to Houston and back comes our good friend, Daniel Tice, Adam, Himmel, Adam Himmelsbeck of the Boston Globe reported that this came together a little last minute. It hit the Twitter sphere at two fifty nine on uh, this afternoon, which was pretty dope. And it just goes to show that you can't predict the future necessarily. That said, if you think you can predict the future, you should head to betonline.ag. BetOnline uh, is the best place for all of your NFL betting. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday and the last game of the football season is upon us. Bet Online has you covered from odds and scores, totals, player performance props, and everything else. Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. Alex, it looks like they've landed on a line. The Rams are sitting minus four on Super Sunday. What do you think? Minus four. Hmm. I think that's a pretty, yeah. I think that's a pretty good line. I would I would take the Bengals at plus four, though, if that's what I'm looking at. I just, I really like this Bengals team. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like I watched Joe Burrow get sacked nine times and still win the game. So I'm in on the Bengals at plus four. Yes, you're in Southern California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in LA. Uh, already feeling the some- increase in LA traffic. It's already pretty bad. Are you feeling good about the game? Is this exciting? That like does does it feel like there's a buzz for the game? Yeah, like at work, uh, I think people are kind of like getting ready for it. Like, you know, like and what I mean by that, not so much like people in the office, but like we're not getting as many calls right now. Like it's quiet. I think <laughs> I think like LA is just like getting ready for this. Do you find yourself rooting for the Rams and are you taking Rams at uh, minus four? Um, I'll probably take the plus. I think it'll be closer. All right. Well, it's not just football at Bet Online. They've got basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC odds, and everything in between. You've also got your favorite Vegas casino games, and Bet Online is your number one wagering destination for really anything. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code CLNS50 to get started. 
the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games, bet online where the game starts. All right. Let's talk about Boston a little bit longer, and then we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference as a whole. One thing that very much so, I don't understand, is the Celtics have five open roster spots. So, you know, see, how, how long can that persist, as best you can tell? And maybe we'll get into who they might sign and how they might do it. So let's keep in mind that that tax that they've ducked, what are they? We think there's something like $3 million under the tax right now. Okay, so as far as the roster spots, they're allowed to stay that low for two weeks and then they got to get back to 14 at least. Now, there's also like, I think they can do something like, you know, maybe sign two guys to rest of season contracts and then they could do two guys on 10 days and, you know, just do like a, a, like a bunch of 10 day cycles to save money. But they don't, they're well enough below the tax where they don't need to do that right now. So, um, I've got them roughly three and a half uh, over uh, below the tax. Daniel Tice has a, a trade bonus, so it increases salary a bit. So they can comfortably just, if they want to, they can wait the two weeks if they want and sign four guys then. The, the minimum will be small enough for them to, to uh, stay below the tax. They could probably also just sign a couple players now because it does seem like they're pretty short on guys if they want to have some more bodies just in case maybe sign two guys now and uh, sign the other guys when they need to. So yeah, nothing really to worry about as far as them being very like being shorthanded. I mean, I don't know if like, it's not like a lot of these guys that they traded were playing like freedom, Fernando, uh, bull dozer. So uh, if anything, it's kind of addition by subtraction because whoever they bring will be healthy. Sure. Justin, who in the main Celtics orbit do you do you think will be one of these? We we assume will be added to the team, right? Who are you who who are you eyeing? Honestly, only Sam Hauser. I, I think that you know it's been reported that they're going to explore bringing him up onto uh, a full contract. Excuse the wind blowing door shut in my house, um, which I think is a brilliant idea because you know he he doesn't belong in the G League anymore. He he's just too good, and he has excellent outside shooting that the Celtics really need at a position of need. You know he could easily be the third string four. So I think there's an excellent chance unless for some strange reason, his agent and the Celtics can't come to terms on a deal to elevate him. Uh, there's maybe a very small chance that Broderick Thomas could also be elevated. Um, I think there are some uh, financial benefits to elevating guys on a two-way deal to a regular roster uh, in terms of savings. But beyond that, you know, there's been so much cycling in and out of, of the G league this, this season because of COVID that I have actually lost track of who has we still with Maine that signed with the Celtics at the beginning of the year as, as affiliate players. I'm not even sure if there is. Any. I know Theo Pinson has gone on to, I think the jazz maybe, and a couple other guys are gone too. So long and short of it is Sam Hauser. Yeah. I thought Luke Cornett was gone, but he's still listed on the roster. Anyone have an update on that? I think he's available. He's available. Alex, uh, your thoughts? Your I mean, I think there's a reasonable chance that they could sign Cornette as like a 14th man, 15th man, big non-guaranteed guy who can like just be there for emergency play. Um, I don't think that's insane. I do think that the Celtics are going to be looking pretty hard at the buyout market. Uh, and I think outside of Hauser, who is almost certainly getting the call up and is going to get, a, I think, a contract from the season. 
Uh, I think the main acquisition, <laughs> main acquisition, that's good. The main acquisition that uh, they're going to be looking for to fill roster spots is going to be on the buyout market. So in terms of the buyout market, Yossi, could you tell us a little bit about how the league can actually help the Celtics cap situation with that? Yeah, yeah. Wait, so about like... Like a 10-year veteran minimum guy for, for a buyout guy. Because usually those buyout guys are not younger guys, so... Um, I mean, you, you just, you want like an idea of who might be available? Well, we can get to that if you want to. Um, I was thinking more, if you could do a better job than me of explaining how the league covers some of the salary. Oh, I mean, that's just, uh, it's just like they cover, I want to say like 40% of the salary, something like that. So for example, you had uh, Cantor, he's a 10 year vet. He was making, his salary was 2.6 mil, but the Celtics only had to pay him 1.7 mil. So any for any player that has uh, more than two years of service and they sign a one-year minimum contract, then you then the league covers a, a good chunk of it. So then the same thing is going to apply when they sign players. If they sign veterans now, uh, they don't have any of their mid-level left, so all they can offer is the the minimum but it's going to be a, like a smaller amount it's not going to be what they're actually going to make even though the difference is not going to be that significant so prorated or just smaller for some reason but no both it's prorated and it's going to be uh uh smaller because it's a veteran minimum as long as it's a one-year rest of season deal gotcha. so as long as they do that i'm i'm pretty certain they'll be able to stay below the tax Thank so, you. We'll we'll probably have to do a whole episode on on adding players and reacting to the players that got added. But any buyout candidates or free agents that anyone is particularly excited about adding this moment? And again, this could happen uh, in the next. What, what's the deadline this year before they're ineligible for the playoff? March first uh, roster. March first. Okay, so we can get some time. Gotta be waived no later than March first. Uh, okay, the Bro- Alex. The Brooklyn Nets just waved DeAndre Bembry about five minutes ago, so I'd be pretty interested oh, in that for sure. Yeah. I think um, that one coming. Yeah, they're going to cut a big man. You would think, but no, I think they're uh, pretty interested in keeping Nick Claxton and all those guys in the rotation. So Bembry is out. He's a guy that I would look at. Another name that I've heard kind of kicked around, though I imagine the Celtics might not be super high on his priority list, is Gary Harris, who has been playing quietly pretty well in Orlando. Um, I wouldn't be super surprised if he gets uh, waived and dropped into the buyout market, but I think that he's going to have a lot of suitors. He's probably going to be the top of the buyout market once he winds winds up there. So Yossi actually just published a great uh, primer on who might actually be available on the buyout market. And two of the people who stuck out to me were Robin Lopez, Tomas Sadoransky. Uh, Sadoransky in particular surprised me. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about why you think he could be available? I mean, he's just not playing. Uh, He didn't play with the Pelicans, goes to Portland. They just dump him to San Antonio. I mean, this, uh, you know, New Orleans, they have, they don't, you know, they have Devontae Graham, uh, Kyle Lewis got hurt and they, they played uh, their two-way player, Jose Alvarado. He's who's really, he's playing really good, yeah, but right. you know, they don't even give Tomas any spot in the rotation. So, you know, that kind of tells me 
how, you know, where maybe his, he is talent wise now. So I can see him being available. Um, but the Celtics need wings. Uh, they've got some, plenty of great big men. They've got their set up point guard. If they can get Gary Harris, that would be awesome. I kind of skeptical he'll get bought out, but I did mention him just because, you know, it, it just kind of, it, it makes sense if he would get bought out, but he's, he's really, he's a little too good to get bought out, I think. So, um, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Not too many wings available. The only other ones I really mentioned, I said maybe Blazers want to just wave Ben McElmore. Uh, I could see maybe the Clippers cutting Rodney Hoods. Maybe Semi Ojale comes back. Maybe they cut him now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. So, and then Bember, yeah. So if you can get a wing, you're, you know, you got Tatum, Brown, Neesmith, and then Hauser looks like right now. And then you could elevate one of the point guards. Uh, yeah, definitely try to get another wing in there. I mean, again, we'll, we'll talk about this at length on another podcast. I suppose you could make the case that smart gives them some flexibility because if you have to put smart as a backup on the wing, he's fine. If you put him as a backup big, he's fine too. I'm sure I, don't know if he's, I don't know if he's fine. That's exactly what, what causes the confusion in his role. So I disagree pretty vehemently about that, but you're not wrong. They could do that. Yeah, well, the podcast for another day, either way, because as much as we are fawning over the Derek White edition, I don't think it was the biggest trade. I don't think it's leading Sports Center uh, in the next few minutes. So, what we're going to do is we're going to hop into the Celtics lab and we are going to look at the state of the Eastern Conference following this pretty, pretty spectacular trade deadline. I mean, not since what was the Isaiah Thomas one, 2015. Uh, not since that trade deadline has there been, I think, so much commotion. So what I did is uh, I structured the the East by how competitive the team is and also how big the splash they made this trade deadline, which is to say, let's finally talk about the Nets and the Sixers because hindsight is twenty twenty, And now it seems like, oh, of course they made this trade. But let's remind ourselves that when we recorded a podcast two days ago, I don't think anyone was willing to say for sure that this trade was going to happen. Um, Yossi, you weren't on that podcast. Did you think that this trade was inevitable or were you uh, kind of taken back? Um, I didn't. Gun to my head, I would have said no, probably doesn't get done. But I, I, I felt they would definitely get close, like as close as it did. And, you know, uh, on one hand, it definitely seems like the Sixers tampered like crazy to push for this. You know, uh, and I, and I, so I, I would, you know, I'll hand, got to hand it to, to Daryl in that way. He got a guy, he held out. People said that he couldn't, he'd have to settle for something like, I don't know, Christian Wood and Buddy Heald, for example. No, he got, he got a, he got his guy, um, that contract extension. Not looking forward to that. But uh, as, as far as this year and next year, I think they have a real shot to make it to the finals. Right now, I, I think, I've had the heat as the favorite in my, in my brain. And I I'll be, you know, if everything clicks for the Sixers, I think they'll be right there. Um, Any thoughts on all that? Yeah, Justin and Alex, um, I know that you weren't willing to say on Tuesday when we record, yes, this is going to happen. When did it start to feel real for you? And I'm frankly very shocked at the haul that the Nets got. Um, So who do you think won the trade and when, do you think you decided that? 
it started to feel real for me the moment I saw the tweet from Shams. Frankly, that's I a, really that's did not. Real answer, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's true though. I really did not think this was going to happen. You can play back the tape from uh, you know two days ago when we recorded a podcast with Nick Faye, Brooklyn Buzz, and I said I think this is an off-season move. It's that's what I thought literally until it happened. But sure. I do think it's a really interesting trade. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me is that first off. Daryl Morey definitely got his guy, right? He was always gunning for James Harden from the moment that it even became a possibility that James Harden was going to leave Houston. Daryl Morey wanted to get James Harden. And it took him a year, but he finally got him. Um, I think it's a pretty big haul for uh, Philly to give up. Seth Curry is a good player. Andre Drummond, two picks. I mean, that, that's a that's a substantial package for James Harden, a guy who is 32, has looked like he's starting to kind of decline a little bit and is almost certainly going to command a pretty gigantic deal for his next contract. Now, he did opt in for the next year. So at the very least, that's a decision that Philly can put off for a year. But I do think that that's a really big commitment at the same time. Joel Embiid is having arguably the best season of his career. He's probably the co-favorite to win MVP along with Nikola Jokic at this point. And I think Maury rightly assessed that if Philly's going to make a run, it's going to be right now. So in that sense, I think this is a pretty darn good trade for Philly with the caveat that it now means their championship window is the next three years. Like if they don't win a title within the next three years, this is going to become a problem for them. For Brooklyn, I think it's a really interesting trade. I think a lot hinges on what version of Ben Simmons we are getting. Because if we get the defensive player of the year candidate, all-star level guy who can distribute the rock, who can attack the hoop, and who can take on the other team's best perimeter player night after night after night, that Ben Simmons can help Brooklyn immensely and will be particularly well-suited to a role where he's his primary focus on offense is getting the ball to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and then getting out of the way. That is great for Ben Simmons. But in the postseason, I am a little bit concerned that hacking Ben Simmons is going to become an increasingly viable strategy to slow down what would otherwise be a juggernaut Brooklyn offense. I do think that Seth Curry is a really good addition. And I think that having a lineup where you can play Simmons as the de facto five with Durant at the four and then Kyrie, Patty Mills and Seth Curry strikes me as offensively, maybe like one of the most potent lineups we've ever seen in NBA history, if that all worked out. I do need to see it from Simmons in the playoffs, though, for this to really be a win for Brooklyn, in my mind. Justin, what do you miss? <clears throat> I don't really know what else to add to that. That was pretty comprehensive. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that wasn't mentioned for me is the looming disaster potential. I mean, I guess, Alex, you hinted at a little bit, but both of these teams are inherently unstable uh, potentially for very different reasons from health to, shall we say, professionalism. Um, and so for me, I think I'm going to be watching how well the personalities mesh as well as I'm going to be watching how well the play meshes, because that seems to be a pretty big concern in both of these clubs. So. I really like it for the Nets a little more than the Sixers in the long term. 
The one other win that the Sixers got is they didn't have to part ways with Max V and Tybull. They traded two picks, two first rounders, which was the most they're allowed to trade right now. They basically can't trade any picks. So uh, for the like next year or so. So I could see, I can see the Sixers trying to see what Tobias, Maxi, and Tybal can get them if they can get like a third star with that. I'm a little skeptical. I, there's probably better packages out there, but either way, that's a very form, formidable, formidable starting lineup with Maxi, Harden, Tybal slash Green, and uh, Beaton Harris. For the Nets, though, you know, I do kind of get the feeling that them trading for Harden in the first place may have been motivated by uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They spent time with him in the offseason, the 2020 offseason, and they pushed for it. You know, they, if any, maybe they, it's kind of reported that they got in Harden's head to, to push for a trade to Brooklyn in the first place. And, um, but the thing is, you know, that's that contract he's extension he's looking at and might it's probably going to be a negative value on the back end if we're being honest so they get to get off of that they get back two first round picks which you know they might not be that high but they were gonna that they gave up three to get hardened so like you're almost like restocked and you get seth curry as well so overall like in a way i guess you you can say uh, you know they did they did they break even from the original Harden trade? I don't know. I mean, ben, getting Ben Simmons, 25-year-old all-star, uh, that might help a lot. But they also did lose Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. So, I mean, overall, I think it's fine. They still have enough left to do some more trades forward. They got some trade exception. They got those extra picks. They want to try to improve the roster uh, in the offseason. Um but I'm really excited to see this Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons front court. Like I'm guessing Simmons will be the center primarily, KD the four, and then you've got Kyrie, Curry, Harris. That's very exciting uh, for this season. You know, I'm, I think a lot of the stuff that happened this season, though, the injuries and all this, the drama in general, might be a, a bit much for the Nets to come back from to make a serious run at a championship this year. But looking into next season, when Simmons got half a year under his belt and they're healthier again, maybe the the maybe Kyrie either gets vaccinated or the laws change a little bit there. Uh, I'm that I think this is more so like a next season type trade. I'm very excited to see what they do because they could be right back in the next season. Yeah, I think the reaction here, especially from Celtics frame, is it in a lot of ways it solves a lot of unknowns that already existed on the season, but at the same time for the Sixers and for the Nets, it creates, I think for them a greater Delta and their overall outcomes, Justin, kind of, as you alluded to how these personalities mesh is even more unclear, even though this time a few hours ago, still, you know, unsettled. I mean, for the the Nets, it, it is possible that Ben Simmons, a lot of his mental anguish was tied to Philly. And so he can come to Brooklyn and kind of clear his head and play well. And maybe the on the court stuff fits at the same time. What happens in the future you'll see with Kyrie is unsettled. Maybe they won't resign him at all. Uh, Maybe they will, but they do have a little bit of uh, more flexibility. So I could see the Nets actually being a better version uh, than they were with a healthy James Harden, a healthy big three, but I could also see it being a disaster because Ben Simmons is in the playoffs, a disaster, right? 
For the Sixers, it's kind of the same thing that, oh, wait, uh, James Harden is a disaster in the playoffs as well. So uh, I think actually the risk that the Sixers just took on is monumental. And quite frankly, if after the process and after Ben Simmons holding the team hostage and Daryl Morey holding Ben Simmons hostage, they don't win a title, this will have been such a big middle finger to uh, fair trade in the NBA and to NBA fans in general that I think we should circle back because if whatever winning solves everything, if they get to even a finals, they don't even win the finals. Will it'll be justified in the same way that Anthony Davis was justified in the same way that Kawhi was justified. But if this James Harden thing goes South, first of all, Embiid should leave Philly because this is malpractice. But second, more broadly, this is a marquee franchise that has spent a decade not playing by the rules and in a really ugly way. So I find myself kind of annoyed by this trade, least of which a Sixers, uh, a Sixers Nets Eastern Conference final is just like full of not even villains, just like annoying MFers, annoying people that I don't even enjoy rooting against. I just like, ugh, they're just like bummers of personalities. Anyways, other things happened in the East and the Nets and the Sixers are not the only contenders. And also, I don't know if the Celtics are contenders. So that's worth mentioning. Among the contenders there that weren't the Sixers, Nets, or perhaps the Celtics, there wasn't that much movement. The Bucs were part of a deal where they brought in Serge Ibaka, uh, Semi Ojale, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, and Rodney Hood are gone from Milwaukee. But other than that, the Bucs, yeah, they got Ibaka. We'll see. He's not particularly healthy. But the Bucs didn't really make that much of a move. The Bulls made no moves. The Heat made no moves, although Oladipo coming back is basically their trade deadline move if that happens. And Cleveland made its move uh, a few days ago. So Yossi, uh, vis-a-vis two and a half, three weeks ago, how do you like the future for the Bucks, the Bulls, the Heat, and the Cavs? And you alluded to, you think the Heat are going to win it all. Did anything change for you? I mean, just with the Sixers getting hardened, I think we'll, the Heat will have a serious challenge with them. But uh, like I had before this like the bucks and the i forgot what other team kind of like neck and neck for the for like the next tier but i i would imagine philly's going to push for that top tier at least for me right now i mean the Cavs. i don't i have a hard time seeing them win a playoff series still but at the same time i wouldn't completely rule it out it's just it's still hard to process what's going on, how good they are. And yeah, I, I watched, like I've, I've really watched them. And yeah, their defense is pretty stifling, just kind of like what the, kind of in, in the same vein as the Celtics, but more so in the front court. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how, what happens there. I'll just, it, but for me, I'll have to believe it to see it. Uh, Chicago, um, their defense kind of fell to earth even before all their recent injuries. So I do have some doubts of how deep they can make it. I, I, w- I would think they can win a first round series after that. I don't know. And I mean, the, so the Bucs, I, I did not like this move. Does it really change their outcome this season? Probably not by much. I understood why they chose to trade Dante DiVincenzo considering they already have an expensive team going the next year. He's going to be a restricted free agent. He might, it might be hard to match. And they already are pretty deep at shooting guard. They've got Grayson Allen, Wes Matthews. Um, Pat Connaughton and they did need a big with Brooke Lopez like you know who knows if he's coming back and they don't really have any other like true bigs but Ibaka wasn't really in the Clippers rotation yeah he was in their rotation but I 
pretty sure just to be showcased for a potential trade. And right. so they like increased their payroll and then like, I, I would say it got worse. I don't like maybe Ibaka does have a lot left in the tank, but I was thinking of him as being a potential buyout player. And no, the Bucks went ahead and just took him for Vincenzo. So it was really strange to me. I was yeah. really expecting more of a move to point guard with George Hill not really being very healthy. Oh yeah, but maybe they don't need to. You know, they've been playing well enough, and they can turn it on enough that, for me at least, they are still the favorites for the East. I still need to see Philly and the Nets in their new new iterations before I will, you know, be disposed to shuffling how I think that's going to come like pan out. But I also, I really definitely agree with you regarding Cleveland and Chicago. They're very interesting regular season teams, but I, I need to see something, something from them in the postseason before I'll be a believer. As long as Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo are suiting up for the Bucks in the postseason, I am not particularly concerned with the rest of the guys on that roster. Yeah. It, it seems to me that the Heat and the, the Bucks have a really good chance of actually being the Eastern conference finalists. The heat have just been like so waylaid with injuries. It's really hard to know, but that they're so high up. Are they number one in the East right now? I mean, that they're seeing no consistency out of their rotation and still they're just hanging tough. If not number one in the conference at times, if not this moment, I, I think it's foolish to bet against Giannis at this point. I think by virtue of being a small market and we don't, like the same narrative two years in a row we're sleeping on Giannis, but that dude should be in the MVP conversation. And to that end, he should be, uh, he and his bucks should be considered perhaps favorites as best I can tell. Although Justin, to your point, we got to see what the, the Sixers and the Nets ultimately look like. Uh, Alex, last thought on the bucks, bulls, heat and uh, calves. Just that I, maybe this will come back to bite me. You know, it definitely has come back to bite me in the past. I kind of don't see it with Miami, at least not as much as you guys. I think they're a good regular season team, but I have real questions about whether they're going to get it done against teams with Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, these true 1A superstars in a postseason setting. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being kind of, uh, superstar heavy and thinking thinking about that too much, but I kind of feel like the Heat are due for a flame out. I mean, NBA history would suggest you're 100% correct, uh, but I don't know. That's just like a mean gnarly team in South Beach that uh, I kind of love. So maybe I'm being biased. Okay, there are some other play, uh, teams that deserve to have their name mentioned, and they've made some moves today. Toronto, they traded Drogic for Thad Young, which is not bad. And they've been playing great as of late. So maybe they didn't make a big splash the way perhaps they could have, but that's a not insignificant move. And Drogic, I think the best reporting is suggesting he'll end up uh, with the Mavs. And then the Hornets got Montrez Harrell, which they needed a big, and they didn't give up much to get him, which is pretty cool. So assuming the Celtics are closer to a middle-of-the-pack team than an actual contender, Yossi, I'll go with you first. Do Toronto and Charlotte, um, do these moves, should Celtics fans be worried about these moves? You, you could sleep tight. Hell no. Um, <laughs> I did not like that Thaddeus Young trade. And, you know, nothing against Thaddeus Young, but I don't see the value in trading a first-round pick 
for a guy that couldn't really, you know, I, I'm sure I now I'll give Thaddeus Young this. He wasn't in the Spurs rotation, but if you look at his game log, when he did get like 20 minutes plus per game, he looked good. At the same time, I would probably rather take my chances with a first round pick in this draft, even if it's going to be in like the low twenties. Um, so, I mean, unless, you know, and that now Thaddeus Young also was like a six man of the year candidate last year. So unless the Raptors are really confident that that's what they're going to bring, then okay. Like I, I would have been okay with trading a first round pick last season for Thaddeus Young, but I uh, think it was a little too much for, uh, for what, for that. Uh, so yeah, I, I would still favor the Celtics over them. And what was the other team? Uh, the Hornets. They got uh, Montres Harrell. Uh, that trade is just like, they're the exact same team they were yeah, earlier today. Alex, Justin, do these moves matter to you? Uh, I think maybe there's a chance that Thad Young kicks the Raptors up a little bit higher, but honestly, he seems a little redundant with a lot of the guys that they have, and some of those guys are younger and probably have higher upside than him. The Trez Harrell move, I maybe this is just me, but I have been out on Montrez Harrell for a good minute now, primarily since he melted down against Denver in the bubble. I just don't think that that guy contributes substantially to like playoff level winning basketball. I think he's a fun energy regular season guy to bring off the bench. And I think the Hornets have a lot of those dudes, but I still don't think they have addressed their biggest need, which is a true starting center. I'm really surprised that they didn't go harder for Miles Turner, to be honest. Nice cheap replacement though. Uh, I I do. I think he's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun Charlotte Hornets team. There is going to be no defense played on that roster. Yeah, I mean, shout out to that end. Shout out to the Pacers. They're not a factor this season, but a frisky team. Just quickly, it it is of note that the Wizards did some stuff that I think is preposterous, but maybe someone else doesn't. Um, Dinwiddie, who, speaking of tampering, was supposedly seen with Mark Cuban at an NFT gallery last weekend. <laughs> So of what a course he was. <laughs> what, a crazy, what a crazy sentence I just said. Um, so Dinwiddie Bertans going to uh, Dallas for Kristaps Perzingis, and then also Ish Smith and Vernon Carey Jr. going to Washington. Shout out to Ish Smith. Um, that Kristaps trade, Yossi, anything meaningful or just kind of sad? And uh, sad for who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, no, truly, it's a, it's a sad trade. I think it's one of those rare cases where both teams lost the trade. Yeah. I mean, you know, considering what Dallas gave up from initial, initially, that's a big loss. All they got back was uh, Davi Spiritons, and he's got like another three years, 60 mil left or something like that. And, you know, Dinwiddie, I, I do like Dinwiddie as a player a good amount. I actually think he could be a really good fit next to Luca. But, uh, yeah, given the value that they initially traded for him, I, they took a big L there, but I do think they won the trade just by getting off that deal. Uh, they get a lot more flexibility going forward, and that's important because they're not going to be a cap space team. But maybe now they will. Well, I, I have to look into it. And but the Wizards, it's like they kind of undid having John Wall and Bradley Beal making as much money as they did. Like they trade Wall slash Westbrook, get a break it down to a bunch of smaller salaries. And then they get go ahead and get Porzingis. And now you're going to pay Bradley Beal $50 million a year. You're kind of right back in the situation you were in earlier. So mm-hmm. I get, you know, they want to be good. They want to be in the mix. 
I just don't see, I don't see the path where they're going to be like a championship contender when those two guys are the highest paid players. Alex, does this change Bradley Beal's future in, in Washington? And this is, we're going to talk about this all summer, I'm sure. I don't think so. I think Tommy Shepard and the Wizards front office are hoping that it will, but I think we're going to see pretty rapidly that a Wizards team centered around Kristaps Porzingis is not tremendously better than the Wizards team that rocked into this deadline. So is this a last ditch effort to try and convince Bradley Beal to stay in Washington? I think so, but I don't know that it's going to work. We will see. Justin, uh, is it the case that both teams lost this trade? For me, I think speaking of big L's, if you're swapping seven foot tall Latvian players, it's better to pay one less. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to uh, Latvia. All right. We have a few more rapid questions uh, to get through 10 to 30 seconds max. Yossi Gosselin, you write for Hoops Hype and you're on the Hoops Hype podcast. Did the Celtics get better today? The basketball team, not the collection of assets. Yes, I think the roster improved towards winning basketball games in the 21-22 season. All right. Alex Goldberg, you have a Divine Sweater show in Somerville coming up. Did the Celtics get better today? Celtics certainly got better today. They got much better today for the rest of the season, and I think they got better in the long run. I'm all in on this trade deadline. And where's your show? We're at the Jungle in Somerville. Come on out. We're on at 10, and there's three other really great bands before us, including our good friends, Plumes. Cool. The music from the top of this podcast is Divine Sweater. Alex plays bass for that band. Justin Quinn, you write for Celtics Wire and... You correct me when I'm wrong, which is more often than I care to admit. Did the Celtics get better today? They definitely got better today, and I'm really excited to watch some 1990s Big East basketball in Celtics uniforms. All right. I like that. Yossi, who was the biggest winner of the trade deadline, East or West Conference? The, oh, conference? I, I can't. I don't know how to weigh that. Just the whole – no, the whole NBA. Who? who oh, okay, T1. They're players. They're all going to get free money because they yeah. have the, – their, their payroll is so small. They're going to get like – every player is going to get like one, one $1.5 for free. That goes a long way in OKC. Okay, Alex, who won the trade deadline? Rich Paul and Clutch Sports won the trade deadline. They got exactly what they wanted. Ben Simmons traded to a contender, and he didn't play a single game for the 76ers this year. Wouldn't the Lakers inactivity make them losers, though? Uh, I don't know. I think it depends on where you think LeBron James is going to end his career. Justin, who won the trade deadline? You know, I don't really have a particularly good answer for that, but I'm pretty confident Daryl Moy did not win the trade deadline. (laughs) Uh, Yossi, who's the biggest loser of the trade trade deadline? Um, it's between Washington, Toronto, and uh, Milwaukee. I, I guess Milwaukee by a hair. Alex, who lost the trade deadline? The Sacramento Kings fans lost the trade deadline, <laughs> and I don't think it's close. Justin, who lost the trade deadline? I'm going to say Los Angeles Lakers fans lost the trade deadline because some pick that is not going to make any difference for the Lakers because they never do anyway was the holdup for them 
fielding a roster that could potentially at least maybe win a first round uh, matchup. And now I'm going to be surprised if they actually make the play in tournament. So that's my vote. All right. And last one, Yossi, who comes out of the East? Miami. Alex. The Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. Justin. Bucks. All right. My turn. The Celtics got better today. Good job, Celtics. The biggest winner of the trade deadline was James Harden's accountant because it's stupid <laughs> to pay him that. It's he's gonna wake make a quarter of a billion dollars for, for not playing defense. It's it's ridiculous. Um, the biggest loser of the trade deadline is is probably Russell Westbrook. It would have been nice for him to get traded to take the heat off of him because now he has to be a scapegoat for uh he should never have been a Laker. So I'm sorry. I love I think Westbrook. He might be a winner though, because he definitely doesn't want to leave LA. True. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't either. And um, who comes out of the East? This is the Celtics Live podcast. The Celtics come out of the East. What are we talking about here? That's right, Cameron. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not right. It's going to be the Bucks with Heat. Uh, Yossi, <laughs> thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by and, and doing math for us. So we didn't have to do any math. Uh, cool. We appreciate you, and uh, you're welcome anytime. Thanks Thank again. you. Have me whenever. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next week.